Wheeling Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 288. What's it like to fly without an engine? Well, today, glider instructor Chris Bazala relates his experience flying through the air without an engine. We're going to get to that in a second, but first, a shout-out to our sponsors. Our sponsors are AviationCareersPodcast.com and the Scholarships Guide. You can get one for free at AviationCareersPodcast.com slash free. Make sure you check out that page and support our sponsors there. Hey, if you want to be a sponsor, you want to pay it forward, AviationCareersPodcast.com slash pay it forward. You can learn how you can actually help somebody get a scholarships guide with over $120 million in scholarships. It actually is helping people move forward in their careers and their flying life. Whether it's getting a glider rating or another instrument rating, you can help somebody with their flying life. AviationCareersPodcast.com slash free. Now entering cruise flight. Again, joining me today is Chris Pazala. Chris is a glider instructor and has a lot of experience flying without an engine. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Carl. You know, this is all is really exciting to have you back on again. I um, I kind of forgot you were a glider instructor. I remember we were talking about this before. Um, I've had experience maybe 25, 30 years ago flying gliders. It is the most amazing experience. But I guess the real question is, Chris, can we really fly without an engine? Well, absolutely. Actually, the first recorded glider flights took place in the 18th century, uh, most notably 1783. So, uh, Gliders have been with us for quite some time, even longer than powered airplanes. And the Wright brothers themselves actually used a glider two years prior to the Wright Flyer to test out their aerodynamic concepts. So one of the things we have to remember is that uh, with an aircraft, it's not just about the engine. It really is about the wing. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's what flies the airplane. You know, the engine gets us places, but you know what? You can even get places without an engine, and that's kind of cool. Just doing a little cloud street soaring there. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I... I think it's it's a really neat rating, um, but I want to hear from somebody who's actually an instructor who's been flying around for a while. When someone asks you, you know, hey, why should I get a glider rating? You know, how do you answer that? Well, the first answer is it's fun. It's an exciting activity, and it's very different from flying parrot airplanes in that you actually feel that you're soaring. You get to feel the sky, and you take the airplane out of the, or the engine, I should say, out of the equation, so you're not getting the vibrations and the noises, and it really is back to basics. Uh, in theory, there is instrument glider flying, but in reality, that's very rare. Most of the time, it's VFR, and it's a great opportunity to actually enjoy uh, the view and enjoy the experience. People always ask me about you know, careers and moving forward in their careers as far as does gliding count? I was like, yeah, it sure does. Soaring is so important, uh, especially especially if you're trying to build stick and rudder skills, which are very important in the world of, of aviation everywhere, from the airliners to the J3 Cub to the glider. Uh, so it's really, it's building these skills for manipulating the aircraft and thinking in front of it, but it's also 
helps you when you're doing engine out. I remember uh, the first time I ever had an engine failure in a 172, I had my student went and got his glider rating right after that. I thought that was, that was a great idea. I said it makes you feel a lot more comfortable with, with operating without the engine. It really does on, on two levels. Like you said, it helps to build stick and rudder skills, which are good all the time with or without an engine. And also in the event of an emergency, it does help with that. It also helps just generally with energy management. And you'd think that a glider would be very, very different from, say, a 747, which I've had the opportunity to fly. But in reality, all aircraft require the pilot to consider energy management, particularly on the descent and landing phase. And gliders give you a really great opportunity to learn how to manage the energy and the drag and work out your flight path. And that skill translates to anything from a 747 to your Piper Aero while you're trying to do that irritating power off 180 for your commercial. <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't realize that uh, flying larger aircraft that a lot of times you don't have the engines are at idle and you are actually planning your descent in, almost like a glide. I know it's different than a glide, but but it really is all about what you said, energy management, which is a skill that we all should learn uh, no matter what it is we're flying. And uh, it it also helps you become a much more efficient pilot, I find, when you have really good energy management, whether you're wanting to make that turn off or you want to make the turn off all the way down the runway, whatever it may be, it really is a good skill to have. Don't you think so? I really do. And I think it's also helps a lot with uh, decision making. In the glider world, of course, you're not going to get a go around. So you're constantly making decisions about, you know, am I at the right altitude? Am I where I should be? And what's the safest course of action? And what should I do next? So, uh, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is there's a, a real paradigm shift because we're talking to a lot of powered pilots right now between flying a glider and flying a powered aircraft. So what in your experience, you know, what what's it like? I mean, how does it differ from me, the person that flies a 172? Right. So in the world of powered airplanes, I think we spent a lot of time focusing on the functional aspects having to do with navigation, air traffic control, uh, engine management. And so, and, and except for gliders that are doing cross countries, and some do, uh, generally those functions uh, become less involved. And so we're able to really focus in on the actual uh, function of flying. And with gliders, it's very interesting. You'll notice some differences such as the longer wingspan, which can sometimes cause a slower roll rate. But at the same time, they're also a lot smoother. They have a lot less vibration and you actually get a feel for the air around the glider. And as you're looking for that upgoing air, you're looking for those updrafts to carry you, you can actually feel the transition uh, between the, the updrafts and downdrafts. So this flying in a glider, one thing I think is really cool is just how smooth it feels. The other thing that I think was shocking the first time that I flew a glider is that you – you think that you f you hear a lot of differences in noise in a 172 or a powered aircraft. You actually get a lot of noise changes in a glider that I did not expect to be as pronounced. For instance, you go from a slow speed to a fast speed, or you're doing airbags and you know doing a, a loop in a glider. You it, it kind of gets kind of quiet, really quiet when you get slow, and then all of a sudden super noisy uh, from the wind speed. Uh, as as far as you know, teaching somebody in a glider. Does that come into effect when you're trying to explain to somebody how to properly fly a glider? 
Uh, absolutely. So the the you get not only a pitch change, but also with airspeed, you're going to get the sound change. And so at, at a very high speed, it's a whistling sound. It almost sounds like a NASCAR sometimes uh, when a glider comes by at a higher rate of speed. So it's definitely different than the powered airplane where it's all being sort of blocked out by the engine sound. And of course, for me, I have glasses. I don't really like having a headset on top of glasses. So one of the great things about gliders is I don't need a headset. So I've, I've always really enjoyed that freedom to, to feel like I can look around and not have this clunky thing on my head. Speaking of which, um, do you actually speak on the radio when you're in the glider? We carry radios, and that's location-specific, but we generally have a radio to uh, do uh, Unicom. It's not as common to see gliders in a uh, in a powered environment or in a tower environment. Normally, you'll see gliders operating at smaller airports. And I should say, actually, it's the CTAF frequency uh, that we're monitoring. Uh, but the emphasis on radios is not quite as much. There's a lot more emphasis on see and avoid. And that's one of the things that's really important about gliders is situational awareness, because you may have three or four gliders operating in or around the same airport. And remember, everyone's going to have to manage their altitude and their energy, and everyone's going to have to get back in to the airport. So there's a lot of seat and void and working together to make sure that the flow of traffic works. And so that's really a great way to build situational awareness. Speaking of situational awareness and some of the rewards of being a glider pilot, obviously we talked about uh, what it helps as it, it applies to flying an airplane ourselves. But how about the other rewards of, of being a glider pilot? I mean, what? why would people want to do this? I mean, w- tell us a little bit about that whole community before we talk about how to actually get your certificate. Uh, well, this is one of the great things about gliders is it is a community. It's a lot like uh, when I was part of the sailboat community. And it's a place where people come out and, and not just fly, but they'll hang out for the day. So a lot of times glider pilots tend to fly on weekends and they'll come out Saturday, Sunday, hang out at the airport. Normally we don't launch the gliders until late morning, early afternoon to get the better thermals for, uh, for those of us that operate in areas where we rely on thermals. And so, you know, the morning is a great time to come. A lot of times we'll do a barbecue or other events. So it's not just about flying the aircraft it's also about you know being part of this community and learning from the other pilots yeah i think it's good to get away for the day too and um i love that atmosphere it's kind of you know it's it's like any other club it's very much a social event um it also the other neat thing too getting away from the social event is it's really kind of cool being up there all by yourself with no noise it's just you and the wind and the sky. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for me, it really is. Uh, a few months ago, I renewed my uh, flight instructor certification. And I was, after I did that, I went ahead and rented uh, one of these Schweitzer 126 gliders and went up and flew that by myself. And it, it's such a rewarding experience uh, to go up by myself. And not only that, but I caught a thermal. So I actually climbed uh, several hundred feet without an engine. And that's really rewarding because you feel like you've actually earned that altitude and that opportunity to to keep gliding so that was that was quite a bit of fun yeah it's neat i watched some videos on youtube uh before this and it was really neat to watch some of these people getting in their aircraft and going out and in the mountains and doing soaring ridge soaring and things like that where they were constantly going going up and up and coming back down and up and up it was just phenomenal and these guys stayed up there for a long time. I think that's something that 
really shocked me. Maybe you could talk towards that. I mean, how long does a typical flight last? You know, that really depends on the environment. Uh, out west, uh, these folks will go out and find a ridge and they can fly as long as they want, pretty much as long as the day is. Uh, some of these gliders out west will actually uh, use the mountains to catch up going air. And it's not uncommon for them to get up into the altitudes with the airliners and have to actually use oxygen tanks while they're in those gliders. So uh, I have not done that yet, but I'm told that's quite an experience. On the east coast, uh, we don't tend to have as much to work with in terms of ridge lift, uh, especially being here in Florida. So uh, we rely on thermals. They tend to appear in the late morning, early afternoon, and normally they'll go for a few hours. So I, my personal record is uh, two hours, but that is nothing compared to the folks that do the cross-country flying. Uh, they um, These guys will fly for three, four, five hours easily. Wow, that's a long time. And you're burning no gas, <laughs> and uh, except for getting up there for the first time. that That's actually phenomenal. Um, so with all that said, I mean, you got me convinced. I mean, this this is something I've always wanted to finish is my glider rating. Uh, it's just taking the time to do that. So let's talk a little bit about that is, you know, how you get your certificate and maybe um, how long it takes you to get your certificate based on somebody who's not a pilot and also somebody who is a power pilot. So let's start with the let's start with a newbie, somebody who has no flying experience. How do they get their pilot certificate? Right. So uh, we actually have a lot of folks coming into this uh, who are not pilots already, which is actually a pretty good way to get started. And it, uh, it involves um, you know, the usual thing, which is show up, take an introductory flight, decide that that's what you want to do. And if it is, then you're going to want to apply for a student pilot certificate, just like you would for a powered airplane. Uh, for a lot of folks might remember the old days when you used to go get your medical and your student pilot certificate together. Uh, that has changed industry-wide now. Now you actually apply for your student pilot certificate through the FAA as if it was uh, a regular license. That allows them to do the, the required background checks. And of course, uh, there's no medical required for a glider, so you won't have to go through that process. And uh, you can continue training with the instructor while you're waiting for the student pilot certificate to arrive. And once that arrives, the instructor can sign off solo flights just like they can on a powered airplane. And normally we see folks doing about 10 flights with an instructor before they solo. So that's usually a few weeks. There tends to be a bit of ground instruction with that. And eventually, before you take the check ride, of course, there's a written test, uh, very similar to the powered pilot, uh, private pilot test. How about me? I mean, I, I have a, you know, a single engine, multi-engine aircraft, you know, commercial rating. How would I go about getting my glider certificate? I don't know, Carl. I've seen your flying. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't kid. tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so other than me, who's going to take like 50 hours to just land the thing. Oh, wait, you have to land. <laughs> oh, no, you're going to land. Don't worry. There will be a landing. <laughs> Whether the glides are useful. No, I, uh, no, I just give Carl a hard time. But uh, the uh, for someone who's already a pilot, uh, it is a very fast transition. We see folks uh, doing it in three or four days. Uh, for the private pilot. Uh, the only difference really between doing it at the private pilot level and the commercial pilot level is the number of solo flights goes up for the individual looking to do the commercial. And it's been a year, few years since I did it, but I believe it was 20 solo flights in order to get your commercial glider. And so that ends up with the prep for the check ride, it ends up being about 35 flights to get from, say, a powered commercial airplane to a uh, glider commercial level. 35 flights. Is it, a, is it an hour limit or is it a flight limit? 
it's by flight, and I most of my glider experience has been in the Schweitzer 233, which is a trainer. Uh, we like to say it's a little bit of a toboggan ride. It's really designed for training more than soaring. So uh, most most of my flights are only about 0.2, 0.3. I do a lot of pattern work with the students. Uh, so it's really interesting logging 100 hours of flying 0.2, 0.3 at a time. <laughs> that that take a while. Yeah, so I got 400, yeah, I've got 400 flights that come out to about 100 hours. Uh, you know, again, so that's in the training environment. Once you get fully certified, people do go and fly for an hour and a half, two hours at a time. But in the training environment, it's a little faster because if you go out to soar and you don't catch a thermal, that's not a problem. But if you don't know how to land, that's a problem. So we do a lot of the landings and it, it is, it's by flight and generally um, operators of gliders will charge by the flight because most of the cost associated with the glider is getting it into the air. So how would that, you know, normally what do they charge for that as far as getting it up into the air? And then uh, say I stay up for two hours, like you said, I, I'm still going to pay the same amount. Generally, uh, sometimes with the training aircraft, they will have to charge ten or twenty dollars for a second hour. Uh, the first hour and, and, and the tow itself normally runs about fifty dollars. So you're looking at fifty for the first hour, or twenty for the second. But that varies quite a bit across the industry. So uh, each location is going to be different depending on uh, the demand they have on their gliders and also which kind of glider that can affect the cost as well. So if you have all these tows, like say you do a bunch of them in a day, that's point two. I mean, you could literally do like 10 in a day if you really wanted to, right? Uh, yes, I think my record is somewhere between 10 and 15. I don't remember offhand. Um, I think flying personally, I've done 8 to 10 in a day. And as an instructor, I've done at least 10 in a day. So the one thing that seems in my mind to be a bit of a challenge is trying to get out there to do these uh, different flights so that I can get my rating and, uh, and getting up and flying. So what if I'm sure that's true, but what other challenges do you have flying or a glider or getting your glider rating? Uh, well, uh, getting out there is really the biggest challenge. We see a lot of glider clubs only fly one or two days a week, and that can be, um, hard to really get all the flights in, uh, at least in a short period of time. One of the things I can say, and I say it's about all flight training, is it's best thing to do is save save up the money and try to do all the training fairly quickly and together, as opposed to flying and then taking a few weeks off and flying again. Because when you take breaks in the training, it uh, you tend to lose things in the gap. So it makes sense to do it once. Uh, one of the things uh, you'll notice as you start to look through the industry is that you'll have glider clubs, which are volunteer. Uh, that's where I learned to fly, which is a glider club. And they tend to be less expensive, but they rely on volunteers, which can sometimes be hard to come by. You'll also find commercial glider ports, uh, like the one I fly with now, and they uh, charge a bit more money. They're, they're out to make a profit or at least cover more of their costs, but uh, they tend to be open more days of the week and have more instructors and more availability. So, for the initial license, if you can afford it, I would go to a commercial company that and, and just do several days. And somebody who's never flown a glider could get certified in under 10 days if you had the time and the money to just go there and do it. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty quick. That really is. And, and the commercial and then the club, um, what are some of the advantages for someone who wants to do this over time? Maybe they're building time or they just want to consistently fly. Um, would you suggest either purchasing 
an aircraft or possibly, you know, joining a club? And, and what are the benefits and, and, you know, the downsides to that or to both of those? Uh, well, I would say, um, the, you know, the great thing about buying an aircraft is there'll be nothing left to fight over in the divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a big, pro- despite the fact I actually own an airplane, I'm not a big proponent of purchasing aircraft for most individuals. The With powered airplanes, if you don't fly 100 hours a year, you really can't break even. And in terms of gliders, uh, if all you want to do is fly a club level glider, you know, sort of a basic glider, there's really no reason to spend money to buy your own because most clubs have pretty good availability on the gliders. It's usually the instructors that they are short on, but the gliders tend to have good availability and it is significantly cheaper to rent. So uh, now the folks that you do see buying gliders, the ones who actually go out and purchase, usually they're buying high-end gliders. They're buying very specialized ones for competitions and they want to have their own and make sure it's going to be available for those competitions. But if you're not doing that, I would just rent the glider uh, and of course, again, the commercial operations have better availability in terms of pilots and equipment and tend to be a bit better organized than the clubs, uh, but the clubs are cheaper. So the way I would do it is to learn to fly at the commercial operation. It'll cost a little more money, but get it done quickly and then transition to a, a not-for-profit club where uh, you can get a better price going forward on glider rentals. So how about the person that wants to do this as a commercial operator? I guess uh, it's like anything else in aviation. You want to make a million dollars, you start with 10. Uh, it seems like it, there's an opportunity there for someone who's interested in doing this as a living almost. Uh, almost. Actually, I do know glider instructors who do this for a living. Um, as you can imagine with gliders, there's not a lot of commercial applications other than taking people for rides or providing flight training. But we do see glider instructors and, and glider operators that do make money and make a living uh, doing this. That being said, most of the folks, including myself, that come out and fly gliders, uh, we just do it for fun. We enjoy it. It's a great way to build skill. And every two years, this is how I renew my uh, flight instructor certificate. Uh, I got irritated with the online courses. So instead, I retake the glider instructor check ride every two years in person in the glider. So I have to find a DPE to do that? I do. Um, you know, there's Sounds like a challenge. At the moment, there's a, it, it can be. There is a limited number of DPEs for gliders nationwide right now. And interestingly, um, we have a problem that some of the DPEs are a little bit heavier set. And they some of those heavier set DPEs cannot fly with the heavier set uh, applicants because they'll be over the weight limit for the glider. So, uh, so that presents an additional challenge sometimes. Uh, but we do have DPEs that travel around Florida and around the country uh, to make that happen. So, you know, don't let that scare you. You can definitely get an, a DPE and get for go for the check ride. And like I said, I, I call one up every two years, and people are like, "Well, you really want to take the test again?" I'm like, "Versus spending 24 hours on a computer clicking next." Yes, I'd much rather go enjoy a day at the glider port. Wow, I mean, not not too many people can say that, but that that's pretty cool that you do that. Um, getting back to what you said about the examiners, I know that was a bit of a challenge when I started out doing the the gliders years and years ago. My friend had one of those commercial operations where he actually made money on the weekends doing glider rides. Uh, it was really cool. He had a lot of fun. It was a part time job for him. Uh, but we did talk about the weight limit thing because I'm a, I'm a little heavier uh, and. You know, I've had those issues where you know, it's just a certain limit, especially when you're doing aerobatics, and that's been true even with powered aircraft. What it, is there typically a, a weight limit for these aircraft, or does it vary? 
Uh, it varies by aircraft, and I think they're starting to address this more with, with newer gliders. Uh, if you're over 250 pounds, I think that's really where you start to have to check the weight before you fly it. But um, I, again, I wouldn't let that scare off anybody. Uh, you know, if you're not sure if you're going to fit the weight limit, at least call the local glider port, talk to the instructors and see what the weight limits are on their aircraft. Because we do sometimes see, you know, uh, bigger guys and, and girls flying these airplanes. And uh, so it's really very aircraft specific. Yeah, and that's some um, you know one of the you, oh, you a lot of times they'll find somebody younger you know that's an instructor that type of thing a lot lighter and it it is a challenge for some people but like like you said don't let it deter you it didn't deter me when I got started uh, that was so much fun doing that one of the things that I thought was a real challenge and I think it's kind of scary for some people is that you're taken up into the air normally under tow behind another aircraft and you have to maneuver around behind that aircraft. And that can be a bit of a challenge trying to control this thing, especially if you're a powered pilot used to immediate, you know, feedback from the controls where it's not quite as quick on the controls. Um, how, how do you get over that challenge, you know, and, and how long does it take to get used to that? Well, um, if you've ever done an aero tow, you understand the expression pilot-induced oscillation uh, because uh, it is a great way to get into an oscillation, but uh, it takes a little practice. Uh, most of the experienced instructors will actually start you out using only the rudder, and the instructor will take the stick for the tow and give you a chance to get used to the rudder, and then they start giving you more of the control piece by piece. Uh, one of the big things is, is during an aero tow, there is, there's a bit of a lag time especially if you're trying to use the ailerons. So you have to get used to that lag being there. And once you get used to that, uh, which usually takes about four or five flights, uh, it becomes pretty enjoyable, actually. For a lot of us, the tow is one of the most fun parts. Yeah, I'll never forget the guy telling me that was some really interesting rope looking back there, you know, buddy. Uh, just trying to build, I was all over the place just because I wasn't used to that. You know, I was used to getting immediate feedback and you don't get that in the glider. So that's a lot of fun, though, trying to it's really is. It's a lot of fun trying to anticipate things with the glider and to really be able to fly it well and be able to be in front of that uh, teaches a lot, again, about energy management, you know, and I think that's actually phenomenal. You know, I I think one of the things, though, uh, I I found as a challenge is if you're out of it for a while, because there's some people that are listening that have been out of it a while, how do you get back into it so that you don't scare yourself on the toe again? Uh, well, I think, again, you know, you're going to go with an instructor, and you can tell him you know, how long it's been since you've flown or where you're at. And they can offer to – a lot of times they may offer to fly it up to the first 1,000 feet and then let you take it. Uh, and then you can let the instructor really decide, you know, how far they're going to let it go. And it's just – it's a learning curve, and it comes with it. Uh, one of the funny things is that the um, if you have an instructor and a new student and you're switching back and forth on the controls, the tow pilot knows who's flying the glider at that moment. <laughs> they can feel the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So if I'm somebody who is interested and I'm looking on the Internet, is there any organizations out there that can help me discover this great world of flying uh, without an engine? Well, there's two I can recommend. Uh, the first one is the Soaring Society of America. They are the uh, main trade group. They're kind of like the AOPA of gliders, if you will. Um, I'm actually a lifetime member, and uh, they've been fantastic. So the uh, Soaring Society of America, they do a number of things. They help to provide education and training to glider groups. 
they hold a conference every year. I believe that's coming up in February. I'm hoping to go to that. Um, I haven't been there yet, but I'm really hoping to go this year or coming up. And also they uh, do what we call badges. They do soaring badges where they actually um, grade pilots on their ability to soar and to soar over time or distance. Uh, kind of like um, in sailing, there's an organization that does the same thing for sailboats. So it's, a, it's a U.S. sailing. So it's very similar to what U.S. sailing does. Uh, so again, that's um, ssa.org. I should mention that is not ssa.gov. I made that mistake. <laughs> Um, now, don't get me wrong. If you're close to retirement, uh, you know, Social Security Administration probably has a lot of great information on their website. Uh, but SSA.org is the website and they can help put you in touch with a local club or an organization uh, if you're not able to uh, find one through a Google search, which I think is how everybody does things these days. <laughs> you know, I was looking at the website and there's all sorts of neat things you can get involved with with soaring. I mean, you can do uh, they have races and there's different teams that and challenges and stuff like that. Have you ever got involved in any of that stuff? Um, I've had the chance to meet with a lot of the folks that do uh, competitions. I have not had the time to invest. It is a a bit of a um, in time investment in terms of, of getting good at it and learning about it. But uh, people always act surprised that a glider could do across country. And absolutely, they can do across countries. It's not uncommon to travel 50 miles and, and then come home in the same day. Uh, they also do uh, races, believe it or not, where they'll race around a course. And they don't have to go in a straight line. They just have to round the points. And as they go around, uh, they can circle anywhere they find lift and then use that to carry them to the next point. So uh, much like sailboat racing, again, it's, it's very competitive and there's a lot of nuance to it. So I know those folks really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that sounds like so much fun. I mean, like I said, the community, uh, the ability to learn something new, the fact that you can earn these badges. And the other cool thing is I love the fact that so many younger folks can get involved in aviation so much earlier because correct me if I'm wrong, it's, I think it's 14 for a student and 16 for a, a private pilot uh, certificate. I think that's, that's cool. I mean, 14 years old, you're flying. Yeah. The, the age limits are a bit lower for gliders. So it's, it's a really great entry point. And we've had a lot of folks coming in. It's also a good starting point because you're not having to learn to fly with an engine and with air traffic control and all these other distractions, uh, instead you're able to come in and really just focus on the flying. Um, I had the opportunity to fly in a glider before I had my powered license, but I wasn't in a position to actually do the full training. Um, I, I wish I was. That would have been really, I think, helpful or advantageous. Uh, but you know, if, if you can get your kids involved and get them out in gliders, um, I know sometimes parents ask me about safety, and statistically, gliders are very safe. Uh, the, the lack of an engine doesn't really cause them to be less safe than a powered airplane. And in fact, they're, they're much less complex than a powered airplane. So there's a lot less things that you have to worry about. So in terms of safety, they're, they're quite good. Yeah. Also uh, to that point, a lot of people tell me, you know, it's a low energy environment when you're landing, you're at a very slow speed and you can put down in a lot of, a lot smaller area than most. Right. Uh, they touch down at a slow enough speed that uh, you could set it down into a field. I've, I've actually seen it done. Uh, and that's something that we train. I've been fortunate enough. I've always made it back to the airport. But if uh, if you get caught out and you can't get enough lift to get back to an airport, rather than trying to stretch it, it's safer to just pick a field and set it down. And that's why we have trailers. So we can come get the uh, glider. And that's not uncommon, especially for the folks that do the competitions. Uh, they land at other airports or even in fields on a regular basis. Normally, when they leave for the day, they actually, before they launch the glider, they set up their trailer with all the gear 
and they leave the car keys there. And if they land somewhere other than the airport, you'll get a phone call and they'll try to describe where they are. You know, usually it's the cornfield at this road. That doesn't help. And <laughs> you know, eventually they'll ask the locals what the address is and we'll put in the GPS and, and somebody will drive over with, with the car and get them. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know, this sounds like a lot of fun and I'd really love to try it uh, as far as finally getting my certificate. Uh, now I have a little more free time, but uh, to get started though, uh, either flight club, flight school, uh, you recommend going to commercial uh, route. Um, but if there's a club near you, I think it's a great way to get involved, uh, get some mentorship. I think that's terrific. But the best way to go is ssa.org. Uh, is there any other things that you can think of as far as, uh, you know, what we should tell people that are interested now that we've talked about this in this wonderful world of, of flying where we're actually one with the air and you're sitting there soaring with the other birds that are out there how you know what other advice would you have for someone wanting to get started well i think the best way to get started is to is to find that club or school and give them a call and say hey do you have an introductory flight and usually i mean almost certainly they always have uh some kind of introductory opportunity to come out and take a flight with an instructor uh, there's a lot of great schools and clubs across the country uh, the one i work with is bermuda high soaring and uh, Bermuda High Soaring there in South Carolina. Uh, you basically start at Charlotte and you go south until you're in the middle of nowhere and that's where they're located. Um, I make fun of it because the last time I went there I had to drive an hour and a half in a rental car I didn't like. Yes, I, I chose poorly at the rental car lot. <laughs> so when I had to drive this car an hour and a half down to, to get there, but it was worth it uh, to go down and, and, and uh, Bermuda High has their own airport and their own runway. It's actually a private airport. So it's really great. You're not having to interact with other aircraft other than the ones that are part of the glider operation. Also, for those of you that are powered pilots, uh, there are a lot of opportunities for glider towing. So if, if you want to go up and down in a uh, Piper Pawnee, which is actually a pretty fun plane to fly. Uh, that's really cool. And I had the opportunity to do that several times, including once in an air show. Uh, so that's still my claim to fame at the Stewart Air Show. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, hey, this has been great having you here. And uh, one of the things that I think it's done for me is I've learned a few things about it. And uh, I hopefully the people that are listening have too. Um, and it's really, if you want to find out more, obviously, stuckmikeafgast at gmail.com. If you have questions for Chris, you can send them there. Uh, SSA.org, I think that's a cool organization. Bermuda High Soaring. You can find all those in the show notes at stuckmikeafgast.com. Uh, you can also find Chris on the internet. We'll have links uh, to his website. Uh, and if you have any questions, about this or if you want to go flying with chris maybe he'll take you up sometime uh, where he flies out of that'd be really a lot of fun and really awesome so chris hey thanks for coming by again again where can they find you on the internet oh thank you carl well um you know bermuda high is of course the soaring operation and uh if you get in some legal trouble on the way there you can always find us at uh, streamer law as well yeah hopefully that doesn't <laughs> happen <laughs> but uh but again streamerlaw.com and bermuda high soaring uh check out that plus ssa.org and another thing too i mentioned this in the beginning is don't forget to check out our sponsor because they have some of these scholarships for soaring the ray aviation scholarship fund where you can actually go out there and get your glider rating and they provide up to like $10,000 to certain youth that want to try this out. 
Um, and it actually, I mean, it's over like $1.2 million in scholarships annually that they give away. A lot of it for gliding and a lot of it for soaring. And you can check that out at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. You can get one for free at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash free. And if you're someone that wants to help out with that, it's a great way to do it is go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash pay it forward. Or you can come here at stuckmikeavcast.com slash free. It'll put you towards where you can get one of those free scholarships, guides. Go out there. Tell hey, tell the people that are younger that want to try to get a scholarship in soaring that they should try this out because it might actually spark that interest for a lifetime of actually flying an aircraft, whether it's a glider or a powered aircraft. I think it really is something that will add incrementally to their lives, and it'll be life-changing. Again, this is Carl Valeri with the Stuck Mike Avcast. I really appreciate your listening to us today. And don't forget to get out there and try something new in aviation. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's flying a glider. Uh, you can find out easily at ssa.org or just right here at episode 288 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Safe flying out there. We'll talk to you again next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. Thank you.